0: Welcome to Talking Robots, the podcast with an inside view on the science, technology and business of intelligent robotics. Hi, I'm Markus Weibel from the Laboratory of Intelligent Systems at the EPFL in Lausanne, Switzerland. In this Talking Robots episode, we'll be talking to Jun Tani, who's worked for the Sony Computer Science Lab and who's been a visiting associate professor at the University of Tokyo from 1997 to 2002. Since the year 2000, Chuntani has been leading the Laboratory for Behavior and Dynamic Cognition at the Brain Science Institute at RIKEN, Tokyo. Chuntani has studied robot learning using theoretical models of complex adaptive systems and neural networks for more than 15 years. His research interests include self-consciousness and embodied cognition. Six years ago he started neuroscience studies on behavior learning processes in real brains using both human brain imaging and animal electrophysiology. His vision is to establish a new research field, brain inspired robotics, by integrating these approaches. Welcome to Talking Robots June.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Marcus.
0: Um, your research centers around cognition. Uh, yes. And how would you define cognition?
1: Uh, okay. So in my case, the cognition is something beyond just reflex behavior. So, and, uh, but cognition has to t- uh, definitely deal with action. And, but uh, if the robot or human acts against the environment, and then cognitive agents have to be able to anticipate how it goes. So that's uh, something to do with the internal models. And then the study of cognition is something how we can anticipate and also when the failure of anticipation, how it should be dealt. So, that is uh, I think the def- definition of cognition.
0: And how is how is this different from consciousness?
1: Uh, okay. So, in uh, <coughs> yeah. okay, so cognition is, uh, you know, consists of two parts. One is the subconscious part and uh, one is the conscious part. But uh a um, Okay, so usual behavior is if everything can be anticip- it goes very well with anticipation. Everything goes in under consciousness, that's subconsciousness. But when something, unexpected event happens, then conscious process uh, arises. So then to think about what is the reason why it, this happens, so that is a conscious process.
0: I see. And so you talked about Two aspects of cognition, and you said it's uh, there's a subconscious aspect and a conscious aspect. Could you tell yes. us a bit more about those two?
1: Um, okay, so as I told you that uh, uh, when the behavior goes smoothly as anticipated, so then you want to notice actually you you don't remember what happens while you are uh, acting, but if something Strange or unexpected things happen, it becomes conscious. That is, uh, for example, if when you commute every day with taking the train, okay, so then uh, if you, you slip down, maybe by some accident, and in that accident you remember what happens today, but uh, if nothing happens, you never remember what happened, what I did during the train because that is very normal, so it's very you don't remember. It becomes a very unconscious process.
0: And you have advocated uh, generalization and also prediction as two essential parts of cognition. Why are generalization and prediction so important?
1: Okay, so that is a very interesting question. So, and, uh, generalization. So, in, uh, for the every skilled behavior, we need generalization. That is uh, because it's not rote learning one-shot learning you need to experience similar trajectory of behavior for example for grasping a cup or grasping a ball or, or throwing the ball but uh, you experience many trajectories and then after you experience it and then some essential structure common to those trajectories have to be extracted that is the generalization process and uh, it is said that such kind of process is done by the offline during sleep. And then this predictive learning predicting sensory motor flow. But that prediction function can be consolidated through the generalization learning during the sleep. That is what we are assuming. Um,
0: what is the role of embodiment in your research? What do physical robots add that add to your research that cannot be provided by uh, only a simulation? Uh,
1: okay, so simulation actually helps me a lot. So before, uh, every, every time before I conduct in real physical robots, I a little bit test on the simulation, especially about the neural network parts. But uh, 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 after that, we always go to the real physical robot experiment. So the one most important reason is that uh, if you do the physical robots, and the uh, experiment is more, becomes more rigid. I mean, if you do the simulation and the good results comes, then but, uh, people might think that, okay, after you tuning a lot of parameter on a virtual simulation, then you got it. But uh, in the real physical robot experiment, it takes a lot of time because the robot moves only slowly. So then you cannot repeat many experiments changing uh, parameters. So, so this means that if you got a good result from the real physical robot, that means that the parameter tuning is not so difficult. So what you have done is very stable thing. So that is, you can prove through the physical experiments. That's why I like uh, physical robot experiments rather than simulation.
0: Um, you take a very broad approach to cognition in your research. You do experiments with robots and with embodied agents. But also, for example, you use uh, MRI brain imaging uh, studies and experiments with uh, rats and finches.:
1: Okay, so in, uh, in, uh, the thing that I'm doing with a bird experiment is that uh, some, some type of finch, Bengal finch, actually learns temporal sequence, that means a song bird songs, a parent song sequence. and that such song sequence? Is very synthetic. It means it has some grammatical structure, and then children and birds learn, extract such grammatical structure from the parents' songs. So then it's quite similar to the, my question how the robot can learn the structure, so synthetical structure of the environment from the experiments. And then we are looking at some nuclear of the Bengazi Finch, and then we are looking for the mechanism, the real mechanism. And if it is very good, we might uh, uh, use that mechanism for the real robots. So, and fMRI also, we are looking at the anticipatory, anticipatory mechanism of the human, how human can anticipate complex sensory-motor sequences, and then we are looking at the uh, especially parietal cortex, those earlier. So that is also very, you know, analogous to the robot uh, learning modeling, I think.
0: So you talked about the grammatical structure in, in bird songs and looking for the essentials uh again in, in in this. So kind of having this internal model this parallel here. Is this are these the two things so generalization and prediction that are important for cognition no matter at what level? Whether you talk about animals or humans or robots?
1: I, I think, yeah, generalization is very, uh, first generalization is very important because, you know, if you don't generalize and then you cannot uh, adapt to the variation of the sensory situation. If the sensory situation changes a little bit, then anymore uh, animals cannot adapt. if They cannot learn how to generalize. And also prediction or anticipation, I don't know how much, you know, and other than human have an anticipation mechanism, but um, actually bird looks like they have. And also some, uh, of course monkeys have. So some mammals, especially mammals, they start to have anticipation. So I think that, uh, yeah, it's essential for mammals thing, mammal animals.
0: So what is the essential difference between human cognition on the one hand and animal cognition on the other hand?
1: Okay, that is a very good question. And um, so recently we are very much interested in like uh, meta-level cognition. So that, uh, is, uh, whether there a is meta-level or not is a big difference. So what is a meta-level? So for example, so, so maybe assume that we go to this theater, film theater, and uh, watching a very uh, how do I say in a
0: thriller
1: thriller type film, you know, and then sometimes in some uh, on the on, on the film I mean, somebody kills somebody and then you are shocked, but uh, you never scream, you never scream or stand up because your meta level cognition is telling you that this is. So image is the same. So uh, exactly you, you see the exact image, but it's a meta-level cognition saying that, no, this is uh, uh, not real. This is a film. So, and then, oh, uh, then I, uh, I, I, I don't need to scream so much, right? So, and, and the other thing is that uh, when you remember some image, what you experienced before, but when you remember and then, then the same image, you ima- you, have, you are having the same image, but you can, you know, meta-level cognition say that this is not the actual one, but what you have seen previously, I am remembering it. So this meta-level switching things, were real and not real, so those manipulations are very important. Otherwise, everything confused. So, But uh, the actually... Some patients, like schizophrenia patients, do not have this kind of control. So this kind of control is sometimes broken. So, and um, I think it's, I'm very much interested in building schizophrenic robots. So that is uh, that will characterize some human characteristic, and then we can make a more ex- make clear the expression level of a prefrontal for generating meta-level cognition. So. Okay, so that is the difference between the animal without meta-level cognition and the human with meta-level cognition.
0: Let's talk a bit more about your robotic experiments. Um, In one of your projects, for instance, you showed that uh, a robot can use a single neural network to understand two different things, so language on the one hand and to perform complex motor actions on the other hand. Could you tell us a bit more about this project. Uh
1: Okay, okay. So, but uh, this is not actually a single network, but is uh, actually there is a linguistic uh, neural network and uh, that is anticipates uh, word sequence. And the other is that uh, behavior module that anticipates sensory motor flow. But these two networks is a binded, binded by something called uh, uh, parametric bias, but that is actually t- uh, the making the load of the mirror neuron. Anyway, so those two complex structure is binded by the relatively simple structure of the parametric bias. And then what we are doing is that uh, they are jointly run. So linguistic process and the behavior process jointly run through the interaction, having interaction through this parametric bias. And after good self-organization business, we see that the small number of neurons in the parametric bias represent conceptual space. For example, for the concept for the uh, hitting uh, left object and then concept for the, the uh, pointing to the, Lead uh, object, and uh, those things. So, and the conceptual space is actually uh, something like uh, we got is two-dimensional because every sentence is composed of the verb. So that is uh, pushing or approaching or pointing and uh, followed by the object noun. That is lead, blue, green. So, and the all three combinations are possible for the linguistic thing. And, it, and then if the robot is told, so, and a pointing red and, or a pointing blue, the robot actually do that. So but, so, but in order to be able to be in that way, well generalized, some compositional structure have to be self-organized. But that's that kind of structure self-organized in that TV neuron. But uh, through the interactive, uh, interaction in uh, linguistic behavior module, and uh, as a result of s- self-organization, generalized structures appears. So that's uh, one of the recent re- research, and uh, exa- exactly done by the, my student, Sugitaku.
0: So you mentioned this robot is pointing at objects and throwing around objects. What does this
1: robot look like? Uh, okay, so this, ta- uh, this time we use a very simple mobile robot, a two-wheeled mobile robot. But uh, it has a vision sensors, and then it has arms in order to hit or push, and uh, also there is uh, some uh, torque force sensor of feeling when you you know and pushing the object the arm can feel what kind of torque is coming so the business is that for the behavior module is that the, the robot can anticipate when I push the Arm, how the object moves, and also what kind of talk I feel, so that the robot can anticipate using by, you know, through the learning of the internal models.
0: So, this robot can learn internal models uh, through, through the
1: experience, yes.
0: Through the experience, and you just said it can also anticipate things. But how can higher levels of, of meaning and, for instance, how can ideas emerge from this approach?
1: Uh, Okay so important thing is that uh in a verb in and in a word and a linguistic part it has some kind of it should deal with a verb multiplied by the uh, object noun so and then that topology is equivalent to the behavior topology so the so behavior is also something to do with uh, always it has should the robot have to attend it, attend to it, attend to some object and then some behavior has to be acted on that object. So topology is the same. So then through the self-organization business and then structure comes out. So this is very different from the uh, conventional AI approach. So AI approach is they put some kind of mechanism already, right? Like uh, manipulating symbols, those things. But uh, our trial for 15 years is to, you know, exclude such, such explicit manipulation. But only what we have is dynamical systems, dynamical systems self-organized. And then uh, the equivalence of symbol manipulation, representation appears. So the final, you know, goal of us is that as we, it looked like we have a symbol representation and manipulation, but what's happening in, the, in in our robot, or sh- actually we human, is that the only what we have is dynamical systems interaction not symbol manipulation.
0: What are the limits of this approach?
1: Okay, so the limit of uh, this approach is that, um, and, uh, you know that so because we avoid programming, programming of a symbol manipulation, we only do a programming for the neural network dynamics. So then everything has have to, have to depend on the learning process. So, and then and, uh, recently uh, we tried to scale the experiment a little bit about, uh, especially that the uh, linguistic behavior association learning. We tried to you know, scale something like uh, five times. Then we, what we found is that we needed something like uh, uh, maybe 50, uh, maybe 20 or 30 times more learning data is required. So, so that is something like uh, if you try to scale a little bit, then it's, you need to have a, a combinatorial size of the data. So that's exponential. It's, uh, you need more, more and more data experience in order to get uh, generalized structure. So that is very difficult part. So, and I don't know how to, how to deal with this, this problem up to now. Maybe you know human come with some kind of innate structure, or the gene have some structure and exploit it, and then, But my robot, you know, do not have such kind of things. You know, everything start from scratch, so that may not be so good.
0: Okay, let's talk a bit more uh, about the future. Um, what are the big goals? Uh, in robot cognition for the next 20 years.
1: For me, the big goal is that uh, I like to build some, uh, you know, psychological robots. That is, that uh, that robot can deprecate or reconstruct what we have, uh, what we have observed in a psychological things. For example, you know, if the, it is said that in human have a good affordance or, or gestalt, then robots should have such kind of things. And also, the uh, human, as I told you, human beings can sometimes become the schizophrenic. So then robots have to be able to be schizophrenic and then such kind of things. all the aspects of the psychological phenomena, including a subconscious level and a conscious level, have to be constructed. But it is okay with some abstract level, so not real human-like uh, details. So that is, uh, for me, for the next 20 years, is, uh, that's a big goal. So so, the constructs in psychological robots.
0: And where do you see the biggest challenges in reaching those goals? In addressing okay, so, all aspects.
1: Okay. So the first thing is that the biggest challenge first is that um, I have to scale a little bit more about my neural network things, and then, then, then it's uh, and then so we have to do a good we decide to how to increase memory capacity of the learning and how we can get more stabilized, can get stabilized in the learning and, and that's a neural network size thing and then maybe we might need a more realistic neural network like a spiking neuron but the a spiking neuron, you know, in the human use like a billion of neurons and then it, how we can, you know, uh, we can do such kind of scale, that is the biggest challenge and also uh, another thing is that the robot side. So current robot is really uh, rigid. I mean, for the mu- and uh, jo- joint and those things. And then then I think uh, we need to have more elastic joint, like a muscle things and then those robots should be durable. I mean, I told you that uh, my robot needs more experience for the learning. So that means the robot has to move around uh, every day, all day long, for one year, two years, three years. That kind of training is necessary. uh, Like a human baby, you know, why we got a good adult, that is because the mother taking care, training his child every day, eight hours, for you know, uh, over five years, six years, seven years, then you get got uh, a kid of elementary school, right? So the similar ex- experience might be necessary, but in order to do that, we need two things. That is a very good neural network that can learn more. And then very durable hardware and a very it's, um, soft and uh, elastic body. So that's the uh, uh, biggest challenge.
0: And in which fields... Uh, in robotics in general now, uh, do you see uh, the most promised? Do you see the biggest advances?
1: I think uh, uh, because I used to work with uh, Sony, and Sony did a good trial with Ivo and Curio, and they intended to introduce those robots in uh, in a home, but it is uh, as a toy. And then... They try to have a dense interaction between human and robots in everyday fashion. So that kind of thing, even though the Sony decided not to go anymore so much that direction, but uh, I think that direction is very open and somebody, some industry should do that. And I, re- I really see the biggest, uh, you know, uh, future for in that field.
0: And if you think of the world. Uh, that we 'll live in in twenty years twenty years from now, uh, which field do you think in robotics will have had the or will have the biggest impact in our lives
1: yeah that's a, as I told you, some kind of a pet robot and a, and a toy robot and those things rather than you know in uh, uh, the robot helping human like uh, i don 't know it 's um, Yeah, I think that toy robots or pet robots, those things, I think, the biggest
0: things. And do you think it would be feasible to have robots that have the neural net structure that you explained today uh, and you will have to carry around your robot for, as Um, you said, uh, like a mother uh, and child? I
1: hope so. I hope so. (laughs) And then because, you know, you cannot program everything. So and you need certain kind of complexity and you cannot program all the things. And then hope is that self-organization business. And then very good tool is the current neural networks. But we know that the neural network is still is unstable. So we need some technology or schema to stabilize that it can be trained by whatever people, you know, and it doesn't crash. It, uh, so that kind of thing is necessary. But as, uh, yeah, I think we, have ho- I, we are hoping in that way.
0: Thank you very much, Jun, for joining us yeah, here on thank Talking you, Robots. Marcus. Yeah, thank you. This concludes this episode of Talking Robots with Jun Tani from the Brain Science Institute at RIKEN in Tokyo, Japan, about his research in robot cognition and robot consciousness. You can find related links and other information for this episode on our website. I'm Marcus Weibel. Thanks for listening. Talking Robots, the inside view on robotics. For more information on past and upcoming podcasts, visit our website at lis.epfl.ch.